Thank you for those uh, words of introduction. Um, here's another couple of words of introduction. Um, not this Shabbos, but the previous Shabbos, going back one Shabbos. After Shul, somebody who davens uh, in the area where I daven, he's um, involved in he's involved in mi- Middle East politics. He's quite high up there. And he came over to me after davening and he said to me, He's all excited. He said to me, do you know who was here last night? So I said to him, no. Uh, to be honest with you, I don't come in here Friday night. So he says, the truth is most people didn't know this, this person. But he's actually, he's the, um, one of the most powerful, influential uh, figures in the Jewish, in the European Jewish world. He's the head of, I think it was the Jewish Council, all the Rabonu in Europe. And he said that he spoke to this person for an hour after dubbing. And he said to me in a, like, in, a, in a half whisper, he said, this person, you should know, he has, uh, or he did have, a direct line to none less than President Putin. So this week I said to him, I went over to him and I wished him a good job. And I said to him, do you know who you're speaking to today? So he said, yeah, Sean Siegel. So I said, yeah, do you realize you're speaking to somebody who's got a direct line to none less than the Rabbeinu Shalom? To be honest with you, he wasn't, he sort of shrugged, smiled, and uh, I think he realized he also has the, that direct line. That's what I want to speak about tonight, is this direct line. How exactly does this direct line work? What are the mechanics of Tefillah? This is what I want to try and uh, explain tonight. Um, we have a Chumash, by the way. Chumash would be of use, but if not... Um, a, a very good friend of mine, I used to have some philosophical debates with him, and uh, one time we had the following um, debate, and that was with, with regard to tefillah. Is tefillah something of emotion, or is it something of halacha? In other words, he said to me the following. Imagine he comes back from a wedding, had a late start, a late finish. He comes back at 2 o'clock in the morning, he's absolutely shattered. The first thing he hits is his bed, and um, he's about to fall asleep. And all of a sudden, he suddenly realizes he hasn't done Maru. So his Yetzirah says to him, come on, what's the point of this? You're going to get out, do you honestly think you're going to be able to daven properly? Better just go to sleep, at least tomorrow you'll be able to daven a better shacharis. But his conscience won't let him, so he gets out of bed, he grabs a seder, davens Mariv in a couple of minutes flat, straight back into bed. The next morning he wakes up and he thinks to himself, what was the point? of that davening. Did he say all the words? Maybe yes, maybe not. Did he think about what he was saying? Most definitely not. He was thinking more about his bed. He said, does HaKadosh Baruch Hu really want such a tefillah? Surely it was a waste of time. What was the point of that tefillah? Let me give you scenario number two. That's scenario number one. Scenario number two. The Manchester Rosh Shiva paints the following scenario. He says, imagine you have a person who's been running around all day from here, here, there, everywhere, Involved in his business. And he suddenly looks at his watch, he gasps, he realizes he's missed, he's missed Mencha. There's no more Minyanim, or at least not before Shkia. And uh, he realizes he's got two minutes to go till Shkia. So he quickly, I'd say, he grabs a Tfidah, but now, a Siddah, but nowadays you can do it on the phone. He starts exercising his thumb on the phone, and uh, everything's on the phone, and he quickly dubbins, 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 and um, with two seconds to spare, Literally two seconds, he steps back, takes his three steps back, and he says, unbelievable, Ashkoch Protest. Could you've got it tighter down to, the, down to the line? Unbelievable. 
Says the master Rosh Hashiva, give yourself a pat on the back. Well done. Let's sit down now and let's make a cheshbon. Take out a calculator. Take out a pen and paper. Let's work out what exactly you've achieved with that tefillah. So let's work it out. Did you daven this morning? Yeah, you daven shacharis. So that means, according to all opinions now, what he did there was a mitzvah derabonon. A rabbinically ordained mitzvah to daven mitzvah. Fine, well done. Now, one of the favorite sforim of the, the, uh, the master of Shiva was that of, it's called Yosef Vesheresh from somebody called, a big, big tzaddik called uh, Alexander Ziskin, I think his name was. Tremendous yid. And he writes in the Sefer, he says, if a person says the name of Hashem, not only does he not have kavona, the proper kavona he's supposed to have, he's not even cognizant that he's actually saying the name of Hashem, he's over an Issa every time he does that. So my daughter kindly helped me today. We counted up how many times. Just take the name Yudke Vovke, or even Aleph Dalet. How many times did the name Adnus appear in the Shemen Esri? We're not counting Ashri, we're not counting Olenu, just simply in the sign of Shemen Esri. And we came to, I think it was 31, 30, 31, something like that. So just from the sign of Shemen Esri, we're not even counting the other, the other parts of, of Mencha, we're not counting the other names of Hashem which appear there. This person who governed that two minutes, Shemun Esrei, he was probably thinking more about his work than the davening. He's probably just been over in the region of something like 30 Yisuri Deiraisa. Says the Master of Shiva, he was Makayim, one mitzvah Rabbana, and he was over 30, very, very serious, 30 plus Yisuri Deiraisa. What was the point of that? This is the question which I want to deal with. What was the point in davening this guy who got out of bed at 2 o'clock in the morning? He's not even sure he said all the words. Definitely wasn't thinking about what he was saying. And... Then take the other person who with two minutes to go before Shkia does this uh, Shemun Esri. What was the point of it? And so I think to a certain extent we can all relate, or I can only speak for myself, but we can relate to a certain extent. Sometimes it comes the end of Shemun Esri and you're thinking to yourself, what have I, have I just done or have I not? Is there any point in such a Tzvila? Or are we better off Taka saying that this person wanted to suggest, if you're not in the mood for it, don't bother. Say Tashem, hopefully tomorrow I'll be better off. He wanted to say that you'd be better off. I said to him, I disagree. I think that there is a point in this, and I'll explain Bezat Hashem soon why. But at first glance, he seems to have a very, very good and solid point. Because if you take out a Rambam, the Rambam writes, I think in Hilkes Tefillah, he writes that if a person um, comes back from a journey, he's jet-lagged, remember in times gone by, probably seasick as well, he says, don't bother davening for the first three days. And nowadays, for some people, that would mean they more or less want to daven because they're constantly traveling on business. But uh, for three days, don't bother davening because you won't have your Shabbatas, you won't be able to daven. So says the Rambam, for three days, don't. So you seem to have a point. If you don't feel that emotional drive, there's no point davening. On the other hand, it's not so straightforward because if you take a look at the Shulchan Aruch, this is not mentioned there. The Shulchan Aruch of Yosef Cairo, some 500 or so, four, 500 years later, he writes there that as long as you can have Kavana, you're confident you'll have Kavana in the first bracha, go ahead and daven. He doesn't mention anything about three days. But if we fast forward another five, 600 years to the present day, I'm not aware of anyone who actually follows that halacha, who asks themselves before davening, am I going to be mechavin in that first bracha? So what's changed? What changed from the time of the Rambam to the Shulchan Aruch? Why did the Rabbi Yosef Cairo see fit to miss out this halakha of the Rama. And why today have we seen, we seem to be even more lax than the requirements 
recorded in the Shulchan Aruch? What has changed? I think the answer to this is in Parshas Baha'alischa. This week's coming Sedra. They said, did I have Okay. B'Shalach, what do I say, brothers? Baha'alischa is to come. Okay. Parshas B'Shalach first. And that is, Kalad Yisrael are standing there at the Yamsuf. And they look behind them, and the Mitzrayim are fast approaching. They're getting very, very nervous. So the Pasuk says, it says that, Vayitzaku v'nei Yisrael al Hashem, Kalad Yisrael cried out to Hashem. Vayitzaku v'nei Yisrael al Hashem. So we go on a Pasuk or two, and our Kodesh Baruch Hu turns to Moshe Rabbeinu, and Hashem speaks to Moshe, Hashem Moshe, he says, Daber el b'nei Yisrael v'yisol. Says Rashi, what's going on here? What was Moshe doing? It doesn't tell us what he was doing. Says Rashi, this teaches us Moshe was engrossed in Tzfilah. He was davening to Hashem. And Hashem says, now is not a time to daven. Kalal Yisrael are muton in they're in grave danger. They're facing the impending threat of the Mitzrayim. What are you doing davening? Now is a time to act. Do something. Tell them to move forward, split the sea, do something. To my mind, there's two very big questions here. Number one, why does the Torah not tell us what Moshe Rabbeinu was doing? We're left in the dark, we're left to try and derive from the context what Moshe must have, or maybe just common sense, but we're told Kalani Yisrael cried out. Why are we not told that Moshe cried out? That's question number one. Question number two is, why was Moshe Rabbeinu told, what are you doing, davening? Well, isn't that the thing you're supposed to be doing in a time of trouble? So the Maharal, the Maharal in Gurariye, he answers the second question. And he says that HaKadosh Baruch Hu loves Tefillah. Especially when it comes from somebody like Moshe Rabbeinu. HaKadosh Baruch Hu loves it so much that he will not interrupt the person who's davening until he finishes. I mean, he won't interrupt. So HaKadosh Baruch Hu said to Moshe, as long as you daven, I'm not going to send the salvation. When you finish your supplication, then I'll do something. So as long as you keep davening, nothing's going to happen. The Mitzrayim may get closer and closer. I'm not going to do anything. I love your tefillah so much. When you finish, then I will act. So HaKadosh Baruch said to Moshe, what are you doing? Stop davening, because if you keep davening, I'm not going to be able to do anything. Stop davening and act. And we'll be able to do something. This is what the Maharal says in Gurari. But that just begs another question, and that is, okay, but how was Moshe Rabin supposed to know that he'd hit the mark? It's fine, once I've hit the marks, you can say, I've hit the mark, stop davening, because if you continue davening, Hashem's not going to do anything. But maybe I haven't done enough. Maybe Hashem wants more. So you could say, you know what? Moshe Rabbeinu, you're a novi. You're expected to know when you've hit the mark. Okay. Well, let's go, as I said, to Parashat Ba'al See how we can do with this one. No, no, Ba'al I'm right this time. Um, in Parashat Ba'al we've got Miriam. This story with Miriam, and Miriam spoke against Moshe Rabbeinu. She's inflicted with Saras. So Aaron says to Moshe, says to his brother, look, your sister's in pain, do something about it. So he turns to Hashem and he says the famous five words fiddle. Kale, no, refa, no, lo. Please heal my sister. So Rashi says, why such a short fiddle? So <coughs> Rashi says, two answers. Either because you can't win. In other words, if he doesn't too long, he's going to get criticized again. Your sister's in trouble and you're busy davening long tefillos, now's not the time. So again, we'd have the same question with that and Rashi. How would Moshe have known? So you could say he was a novi. Fine, I accept that. But Rashi goes on and gives another Pshat, and that is because Kalad Yisrael would say, when it comes to your sister, 
suddenly you, you daven long tefillahs. When it comes to us, you don't daven such long tefillahs. So obviously you love your sister more than you love us. It must be this is favoritism. Now, surely that doesn't really... That's unfair. It's unfounded. Different situations require different length tefillahs. Surely, no? So maybe the situation... Miriam is on her own. When you're davening for Klali Yisrael, you've got the collective zechus. Maybe you don't need such long tefillahs. What's the criticism? What are they... How can you compare the two situations? What seems to emerge from this is that actually we're wrong. When it comes to tefillah, there's no such thing as a minimum, or for that matter, a maximum length. The Gemara says that Rabbi Yezah had two Talmudim. One Talmud, the first Talmud, he was davening a very, very long Shemona Esra. So the other Talmudim said, they said to Rabbi Yezah, they said to the Rebbe, they said to him, Kama Orchan Uzeh. This person, he done such long Shemun Esrei. So Rabbi Yezah said, Really? Does he done longer than Moshe Rabbeinu? Moshe Rabbeinu done 40 days and 40 nights for Kalad Yisrael. Fine. The next time the Talmudim, they see, they see another one of their colleagues done a very, very short Shemun Esrei. So they say to Rabbi Yezah, try it this way, Kamakatsun who's there? You know, as the saying goes, anyone who done longer than you, he's overly, overly from, and anyone shorter, he's again. So he said, Kamal Katsran who's there? So he said, Really? He doesn't look shorter than Moshe Rabbeinu? Kel Nora Far Nola? In other words, Rabbi Yezim was saying to him, There's no such thing as a length for tefillah. If the answer is yes, you'll get it after five words. You finish your tefillah, you dumb and touch him, you say to him, Kel Nora Far Nola. If it's supposed to be a yes, you'll get it here and now. If it's supposed to be no, it'll be no. For the time being, we'll assume nothing can change. You can have them for the next two hours. Nothing's going to change. Unless there is an unless. We'll come too soon, Rabbi Hashem. But that's the point. And therefore, HaKadosh Baruch Hu said to Moshe Rabbeinu, Why are you davening lengthy tefillahs? Kalad Yisrael are in trouble. Now's not a time to daven lengthy tefillahs. What's the point of lengthy tefillahs? We'll come too soon, Rabbi Hashem. But in terms of the predicament that Kalad Yisrael are facing right now, you've davened enough. You don't need to daven any longer than this. Five words is enough. Turn to Hashem. Cry out to Hashem. Say, we need you. And that's all you need. This is what I would call touching base. What HaKadosh Baruch Hu wants of us, sometimes when we find ourselves in a crisis, in a certain given situation, is He wants us simply to touch base. He puts us in the position because He wants us to cry out, to say to Hashem, we haven't forgotten about you. We need your help and you're the only one who's going to be able to take us out of this situation. That's the point of what's called touching base. Touching base in the times of the Rambam wasn't quite as necessary. It was necessary, but not didn't have the same necessity as in the times of Rabbi Yosef Kairim. In the times of the Rambam, we're going back some thousand years, they were already deep into exile, deep into Golas. But the Yidin of that time, they lived with a, with a, a certain knowledge, a certain idea of HaKadosh Baruch Hu. They felt, they felt HaKadosh Baruch Hu's guidance, His guiding light through Golas. So therefore, they could tough and go three days without davening. If that's what the, if they didn't feel like davening, they didn't have the emotional drive, says the Rambam, give it three days. There's no point davening right now. When it came, came to the times of Rabbi Yosef Cairo, for almost four or five hundred years later, they were already four or five hundred years deeper into Golas. Rabbi Yosef Cairo says, we can't go with this. To go three days without davening, we can't do it. It's Kedai, even if a person's going to daven a whole Shemona Esrei, bar the first bracha. As long as the first bracha you have Kavana, it's Kedai. 
What about the other 17, 18 brachas? Okay, better touch base. Say, pick up the phone, pick up the line, speak to our Kodesh Baruch it's Kedai. Today, in today's day and age, in 21st century, we're in such dark times of God as the world has turned upside down that we can't possibly go more than a, a fraction of a day without picking up the line and speaking to our Kodesh Baruch And therefore, yes, it's Kedai to get out of bed and daven a half, a half tzvira. At the end of the day, the person did get out of bed. He's obviously aware that he's speaking to HaKadosh Baruch So, okay, the tzvira will not be quite what it should be. And yes, in the case of the Manchester Rosh it's a big Kiddush to say this. But it, yes, may well be that a person's going to lose many on many other accounts. But it's what we call Sometimes we have to have what's called short-term loss, long-term gain. It's Kedai to forego certain Isurim, or actually transgress certain Isurim, certain prohibitions, so that in the bigger picture, this Jew will not be lost wandering in Goddess. We're facing Goddess. If a person were to miss a Tefillah, there's a danger he'll be lost forever. And therefore, our Kodesh Baruch says, that Tefillah does mean something to me. It means that you haven't forgotten about me. HaKadosh Baruch is well aware that it's not easy to daven with Kavana. HaKadosh Baruch says, as long as you've tried, you've got out of bed, you've taken the two minutes out of your busy schedule in the day, and you've said, HaKadosh Baruch I haven't forgotten about you. That's worth, not everything, but it's worth more than just something. And that's the first Chedek of Tefillah. The first Chedek of Tefillah is simply what's called keeping, touching base. Maintaining a connection with Hashem. That has got nothing to do with doubling two hours or ten seconds. It's more to do with how many times during the day you do it. And this means throughout the day, no matter what a person's doing, they could be driving, they could be walking, they could be baking, they could be cleaning. You may want to do it when no one else is around, but if a person's baking a cake, it says it in the Svarim. Say to our Kodesh Baruch you can put in a supplication there that it should come, come out well. No matter what a person is doing, you can turn to our Kodesh Baruch Our Kodesh Baruch wants us to bring him in, involve him in our daily inter- interactions and what we're doing during the day. This is what our Kodesh Baruch wants of us. That's called maintaining connection with Hashem. And that's the first Chedek of Tzkedah. There's a beautiful story, quite a emotionally charged story told by uh, Rabbi Chiel Shapiro of a nine-year-old who was never, he was diagnosed with Yenamachala. And his parents had the horrible, horrible job of having to explain to this nine-year-old what it, what sort of the, the, the road ahead, what it entailed. The child sat through it. Maybe he did understand, maybe he didn't. And at one point, his parents said to him, you've got to realize one of the, one of the, uh, the side effects is he's going to, in all probability, he's going to lose his hair. At that point, the child said to his parents, he said, I just need a moment just to, to myself. He went into a room next door, he closes the door, no one else was there, but his parents could hear him. And he opens his mouth and he says to Hashem, I've heard what my parents have to say. I understand it's going to be painful, it's going to be a big ordeal, but I accept it all. But at this point, he broke, broke down into tears and he said to Hashem, they've just told me I'm going to lose my hair. He says, please, I beg of you, take my hair, but not my payers. My payers are what make me a Jew. Please, please, Hashem. He was crying away there. Don't take away my payers. He was completely, completely broken. His father came in at that point. He caressed him. He comforted him. Four months later, the child Tucker went through mamash indescribable pain. 
He'd lost his hair, but his peers were still there. A miracle of miracles, his peers, the beautiful curls, were still bobbing up and down. After this experience, the parents took him to Reb Chaim Kanievsky. When Reb Chaim Kanievsky heard the story, he called in his family, and he said he wants the rest of his family to meet this child, to see the power of tefillah of a child. A nine-year-old, the purity of such a tefillah, that's what the child teaches us. Just simply to speak to Hashem in our own words, it doesn't have to be in Lashon HaKodesh, in whatever words we want, just simply to involve Hashem. Hashem says, involve me, I can do whatever you want. The answer is not always yes. But if I can do something, says Hashem, if that's what's best for the person, I'll do it. You've first got to make the connection with me. There's another story he tells of a, a family who were out, out on Rosh Hashanah, I think it was second day Rosh Hashanah, they were out going to Tashlich. And all of a sudden the skies opened up, there was an absolute downpour. And the father knew what was coming. His little son, Eddie, he says, Daddy, make it stop raining, I hate the rain. He knew this was coming. So he says to his little son, Eddie, he says to him, look, I didn't make it rain, I can't make it stop rain. If you've got a problem with the rain, speak to Hashem. He's the one who makes the rain, he's the only one who can make it stop. So, maybe to his amazement, maybe not to his amazement, Eddie takes the advice, and he turns to Hashem and he says, Hashem, I beg of you, stop the rain, I hate the rain. Nothing happens. So his mother says to him, you know, the boy, the boy hasn't given up. He tries again. He says, Hashem, I'm begging of you, please, 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 I hate the rain, please. And all of a sudden, this looked like a shower which wasn't going to stop, it wasn't a shower. This was an absolute downpour, it just stopped. His father, the father looks at the mother in absolute amazement. And the mother thinks to herself, she said, she thought to herself, never, this child thinks he's going to be able to do this for the rest of his life. He can make demands of Hashem. And then she said, she thought to herself, you know what, maybe he can. Maybe Taki can. Then about the demands. But a person can speak to Hashem. We speak to Hashem like a child, with the purity of a child. Says Hashem, I've got the answers. That's the first Chedek of Tzfidah. So what's this thing of dominating a long Shemona Esher? What's the thing of dominating a long Tzfidah? Why is Moshe Rabbeinu involved in a long Tzfidah? So now hopefully we've answered at least the first part, which is, Moshe Rabbeinu, you don't need to daven anything longer. Once you've davened, you've made the connection, that's good enough. Says Hashem, now do something. So what was Moshe Rabbeinu actually doing with davening a long Shemona What was he doing? So at this point, before we go into the second Chedek of Tzfidah, let me just tell you something the Manchester Rosh Hashiva wrote many years ago. Many of you may have seen this, uh, there's a, a Sefer on Hilchas Baruch, it's written by uh, Rapunzel Bodner, a fantastic work from Lakewood. It's a real, very, very popular Sefer on, it's in English, probably been, it's been put into Hebrew as well, but on Hilchas Baruch, and he asked the Manchester Rosh Hashiva not just to write an approbation, he wants them to write out Doma to the Sefer. And as far as I remember, the Manchester Rosh Hashiva writes there, he says, how sad it would be if a person goes throughout life Still making brachas when a person becomes 20, 30, 50, 60, 70 and upwards. Still making brachas like a five-year-old. If we don't gravitate, if we don't move from there upwards, how sad that is. But on the other hand, we shouldn't get chalish sadas, we shouldn't be depressed over it. Because HaKadosh Baruch Hu knows how difficult it is to have kavon. I believe the Ramam says it's a lifetime's work to be able to really be mechavin in a Shemona Esrei. Says the master Rosh Hashiv, he quotes from Reb Chaim Veloz and he gives a marshal. He says, imagine you've got a master who says to his servant, he says to him, take this ladder and I want you to climb up to this very, very high roof. So he takes this huge ladder and he looks up and he thinks to himself, I'm never going to be able to do this. 
But the master's told me to do it. What choice do I have? So he starts climbing. Says Reb Chaim Veloshin, as long as he keeps climbing, the master can't get upset. Because he's doing what he's been told to do. Whether he reaches the top, whether he doesn't, that's not the point. But the minute he stops, or worse still, he regresses, he comes back down, that's when the master's going to get upset. Says the master of Shiva, we have to do our best. That's it. HaKadosh Baruch does not ask more of us. We have to try to do our best, and I say this because as we move into the second Chedek the idea is not to get depressed about what we can't achieve, it's rather to see what we can work to achieve with the second Chedek The Gemara says that the following, it says, as you may or may well not know, that there is a halacha, but you can't use a shul or a beis as a shortcut. That's the halacha. There are a couple of exceptions. One exception is, it says if a person goes into a shul to daven, then mutter, it's permissible to use it as a shortcut. That's what the Gemara says. That's the version of the Gemara which many Roshanim have, but there's another version which says the following, and this is much harder to understand. It says somebody who enters a shul to daven, not just mutter la se kapandria, not only is it permissible to make it, use it as a shortcut, but it says mitzvah la se kapandria. There's actually a mitzvah to use the shul as a shortcut. So if you come in here to daven, I don't know if there's another door out the back there, it's a mitzvah to go out, obviously if it's going to be a shortcut, not if it's going to take you the whole way around. So there's a mitzvah to use it as a shortcut. Now obviously, why would it be a mitzvah? I can understand it's mutter, but a mitzvah? So I think the answer is like this. The Gemara, where's, what's the source for this? It's actually from the Beis HaMikdash. Because the person, the Novi says, we learn it actually, it's in the, uh, the Aftara, I think on Shabbos HaDodol. The Novi says that, that when they would, people would come up, they'd come up to the Beis HaMikdash. Whoever went in through the southern gate would go out through the northern gate. Whoever came in through the northern gate would go out through the southern, and so on and so forth. This is what the Gemara says. So I once heard from Rav David Zulzbacher from Golders Green here. A number of years ago, he was speaking the JLE. And he said, what's this thing in the base of English? Whoever came out, came in through one gate, went out through the other. Why would that be? So he said, because somebody who comes into the base of Mikdash, when he leaves, cannot leave as the same person. The experience, the euphoria, the incredible spiritual uplift of being in the base of Mikdash, for those few moments it can be, will transform a person for the rest of his life. You can't come and be unmoved and leave as the same person. And therefore, to this point, a person leaves through a different gate, as if to say, I'm not the same person as the person I came in. The one who came in was a different person. I don't have the posik here, but if you look at the posik there, you'll see, I'm just adding one little point. If you look there, it says, when the person comes in, it says something like, Yobo, he will come in. When it leaves, it writes Yetze. But it's a creek sieve. That means it's read a different way to the way it's written. It's written Yetzu. They will leave. Why? Because when a person comes in, he comes in as one person. When he leaves, there's the old me and there's the new me. There's two people. I'm not the same person anymore. That's what he said in terms of explaining the experience in the Beis HaMikdash. To my mind, that's what the Gomorrah means to say when it comes to Tzfilah as well. Somebody who comes into a shul says the Gemara, not only is it permissible to use tefillah as a shortcut, <laughs> I beg of you, says HaKadosh Baruch Hu, use tefillah, make the most of it, use it as a shortcut. To what? To change me. How? Let me explain to you what it means to use it as a shortcut. 
Rav Shimshon Pincus was an ex- especially special yid, an incredible vankite he had, his love, a special love and vacancy he had for Hashem. His family relates. Where did this special Devekus, where did he get it from? What was the experience which changed his life? If you could nail it down to one experience. So his family relates that he put it down to a certain night he had in Yeshiva. It had just come, they'd gone into Bein Azmanim before Pesach. And the rest of his roommates had gone home. And um, he was left, he was the last person there, so it was his responsibility to make sure that the room was free of Chomets. So that night, I don't know if you've ever been into a, into a yeshiva dorm, the, it's probably not like a, a seminary dorm, so it's quite a bit of work to tidy, tidying up that, that place just to get it into some sort of order. And there he had the job of going through, checking, checking for any homites, and um, he went through most of the night. And in the wee hours of the morning, finally, again, he collapsed on his bed, complete, completely exhausted, but Baruch Hashem, he thought he'd finished. He thought he'd finished. But then with one eye open, one eye closed, he suddenly noticed he'd forgotten somewhere. There was, there was an attic, some sort of attic. So once again, the Yitzhara says, come on, we all know the halacha, where Chomis doesn't go, you don't have to check. So he thought, forget this. But again, his conscience wouldn't let him get away with that. So there he was, he climbed up into the attic and he spent the rest of the night, the last few hours of the night, cleaning out beyond exhaustion, cleaning out this attic. Finally, he finishes. He says at that moment, the sense of Kedusha which washed over him, he says he can't describe it. But he said he didn't want to go to sleep anymore because he was so afraid that when he woke up, it would have dissipated. That feeling of Kedusha, that feeling of closeness to Hashem would have gone. But as his family said, he did go to sleep and he went to sleep many times, but that Kedusha never left him. That Kedusha which he attained through that night transformed him into the terribly special, incredibly special yid that he became. But this is what the Gemara is telling us. Speaking to a crowd of women, I think you'll appreciate this more than the men will. You don't need, in order to transform a person, Pesach cleaning is hours, days, some people even months. Some people it's a whole year's uh, sort of avodah. You don't need to do that, says the Gemara. One Richter one powerful tefillah can transform a person, can change a person, can metamorphosize a person into a completely different being entirely. Says the Gemara, If you come into a shul to daven, not only can you use it as a shortcut, not only is this an opportunity, a gift you've been given, says HaKadosh Baruch Hu, mitzvah, I'm begging of you, Please use this gift I've given you. Use it as a shortcut, like the Beis Hamikdash experience, to transform yourself into a different person. It's a shortcut. It only takes one tefillah. You've got to invest a little bit, bit of time, more than perhaps that kel norafan olo. For this, yes, Rabbi Akiva the Gemara says when he used to daven with the with the tzibur, so everyone was waiting for him. He didn't, he couldn't do it at the expense of others. He used to daven a very short shemona esrei. But when he was doubling on his own, for whatever reason, it says that he would, he would start off in one corner of the room and they'd find him at the end of the tefillah in the other corner. From all the bowing down and the trembling and... He'd moved across the room. He'd done with a very long Shemel Why? 
Because when he had the opportunity, not at the expense of others, as our Kodesh Baruch said to Moshe, now's not a time for you to daven, to improve yourself, or even to improve Klan Yisrael. Now's the time to act. But when you have the opportunity, when you have that emotional drive, and you have to have that emotional drive, that's where the emotions come in. That's the time. And I say when a person, person's got the emotional drive, not when a person's doing it by rote. There was a certain, I think, Hasid al once went with various Talmidin. They went to, they went to some town, and they came into a shul, and they saw a person davening with incredible Islahavas. The Talmidin were very, very impressed by this, and the Rebbe wasn't moved. So he said to him, why not? The way this person was davening, he raised his voice, he was crying. So the Rebbe said to them, he said, wait for tomorrow, and you'll see why I'm not impressed. They come in tomorrow, and once again, so he said to him, Rebbe, what, what are you talking about? Why are you not impressed? He said, did you not notice? The mannerisms were identical. The points in Tefillah where he raised his voice were identical. When did he start crying? The same as yesterday. How can a person go through the same Tefillah day in, day out, and the emotions be exactly the same? The answer is he's trained himself. This bit of Tefillah should have that bit of emotion. That's not, that's not coming from the heart. That's a person saying to himself, I'm a robot. I know this is what, this, this is the feeling which should be evoked by this part of Tefillah. That's not what HaKadosh Baruch Hu wants. The emotions have to come from the heart, from the experiences of day-to-day life, the Tefillah will change and move in time with the person. This is the, the second Chedek of Tefillah. This is the ability to use Tefillah as a shortcut to change a person. I heard from my Rosh Hashiva once, from Sviko Shilevsky. He told us in Tefillah, he says, how do you know if you've hit the mark in Tefillah, if you really hit the mark? He says it could be once in a lifetime. That's what he said to us. Maybe out of our novel, he said he's only experienced it once or twice in his lifetime. I don't know, very possible out of our novel he said that. But he says you will not, you'll feel it. After it's filler, you'll feel a different person. You'll feel such a connection. That's what, that's what you'll feel. He says when you've done that, you know you've changed. Then you know you've hit the mark. That's what filler is all about. The word filler, nafture elikim niftalti. Rashi says, what's nafture elikim niftalti? It means connection, a chibur. Tzfidah is all about connection to Hashem. It's also in Parashas Fayichi. It says as well, the Roshan Lo Filalti. Rashi says, Pillar is an expression of Machshava. It means to think about. Tzfidah means thinking about HaKadosh Baruch Hu. That's perhaps the first Chedek. It means constantly being in connection with Hashem, thinking about HaKadosh Baruch Hu. The second one is creating a connection with Hashem. A soul connection with Hashem, which transforms the person into a different being. Those are the two Chalokim of which we see over here. The Chassam Sofer, when he was a, when he was a Bacha, so he used to daven a very, very long Shemona Esra. So he had a friend, a very good friend of his, who used to tease him. And he said to him, he said, you know, in the time that it takes you to daven Shemona Esra, I'm already finished, I learn every day, I'm able to learn a black Gemara, at least one. So the Chassam Sofer said to him, that's not a problem. He said, you should know the time I spend, the extra time I spend davening will be added on to the, extra, the, the end of my life. And I'll have plenty of time to learn many, many more blots of Gemara. I won't lose out by it. Tefillah transforms a person. It can add on years of life. It makes him into a different being. It's Kadai to spend that time to invest it. But only as we'll see now, when a person feels that emotions, it can be sometimes a person will, sometimes not. To make the connection, that's imperative. But when a person feels that emotional drive, make the most of it because it can change you. In last week's Sedra, that's in Parashat's book, he says, HaKhidash Rosh Chadashim. This is the head of the month. I once heard from Rabbi Zelik Rubinstein, former Rosh Hashiva of Tera Simcha, again a very, very Lebedeke Yid, very special Yid. And he said, What's Pshat? He 
He said, This power of his conscience, this ability to reinvigorate, to revitalize, to change yourself, his conscience to become new, Lochem belongs to you. It belongs only to the Yidden. And I'd like to explain to you why that is. Chazal say, it's based on a Posik in the Novi, it says, Atem Kuruyan Odom. You, the Yidden, are called the Odom. The Goyim are not called Odom. Why? The reason is that this, as far as I understand it. You see, everyone else, we know that Klal Yisrael are not subject to Mazel. We're not subject to all these things on the Zodiac. We say, E Mazel Yisrael, we can rise above it. But they are all subject to the Mazel. What is the most powerful Mazel? Let me ask you a question. Why did our Kodesh Baruch Hu choose Tesfah of Nisan to take us out? Why Tesfah of Nisan? It wasn't just by chance. In his introduction to Chedusha Agodis, the writer is probably not the Rashba who writes this, but whoever wrote it there writes like this. He says, because Nisan is the head mazel, it's the most powerful mazel, it's the mazel of the Teleh, the sheep. The sheep, the deity of the Mitzrayim, of the Egyptians. And Akkadish Baruch Hu waited for the middle of the month, when the moon is complete, when the mazel is at its absolute strongest point, to show the world that Akkadish Baruch Hu is above mazel. You can have the most powerful mazel. The Mitzrayim can be at their strongest point. It's the strongest of the strongest Mazalas. And our Kodesh Baruch Hu says, but you're not affected by that. We can rise above it. Why? Because the Teleh, the sheep, just look at the Gematria. What's the Gematria of the word Teleh? Teleh, Tes is 9, Lamed is 30, He is 5. That makes 44. That's the Gematria Dom, blood. A sheep is just, it's more than just a sack of flesh and blood, but that's basically what it is. It's blood. Blood type does not change. A person is born with a certain blood type, they can have blood transfusions, but the blood type will remain with them for the, the duration of their life. The word Dom comes from Doim. By Yidoim Aaron. Aaron was silent, he was still. Dom means a person is stagnant, he can't do anything, he's idle. That's the way of a Goy. A Goy can't change. He's born into a certain muzzle, he's got to make the most of that muzzle. But we are not dumb. We are one more than that. We are Odom. Because we've got a connection to the Aleph. The Aleph is Hashem. Atem Kuruyan Odom. You, the Yidden, are called the Odom. What's unique about Odom? Odom comes from the word Adom. What's, what's it about the ground? I think it's the, it could be the Maharal or Svasema says. Because the ground is, a, is, a, is a, a body of absolute potential. If you plant weeds there, it'll grow weeds. You decide, what am I doing? What a waste. You uproot the weeds and you plant one apple seed. What happens? You get a beautiful apple tree. You then decide, you know what? I don't want apples. I want oranges today. Forget the halachas of uprooting uh, fruit trees, but that's what you do. You remove it. And you plant an orange seed. And what grows there? An orange tree. <laughs> and so on and so forth. Adoma is something which has so much potential and it can change from one day to the next. That's the kayak. That's the special kayak of the Odom. We have the ability to change. Atem Korean Odom. You are above Mazel. You are above all these celestial beings, all these zodiacs. We can rise above it. Having said that, I saw an Arab Shabbos the Bnei Yisachar brings from earlier sources. He says that this month, the month of Shabbat, is the Mazel for Klal Yisrael. And he asked the question, but a Mazel Yisrael? So he says, yeah, you have to be Zeichet to it. He's got an answer there. But I think there's something much more fundamental here. And that is the following. What is, what is the, the sign, if you look on the, you know, the, the, for each month, they've each got their sign. For example, Tishri. Tishri is quite an easy one. Is the most naive. 
is these scales. Why? Because Tishri is all about judgment. It's all about the scales. What's the sign for Shabbat? It's the delete, the bucket. What's a bucket got to do with Shabbat? So let me explain. We'll come, we'll come back to that in a second. If you look in Parashas, I'm going to just show you a couple of examples of this, this ability to change. In Parashas told us, Esau comes in to, uh, to Yitzchak to get his prophets. And Yitzchak says to him, sorry, you've been swindled. Yaakov's got the brachas. So Esau is more than just aghast. He says, what do you mean? You've got nothing for me? So his father says to him, Yitzchak says to him, sorry, there's absolutely nothing I can do for you. I've given him everything. I've given him the Ashiras. I've given him everything. There's nothing there for you. So the Apostle says the following. It says, Vayisah Esau Kaloi Vayik. Esau raised his voice. And he cried. All of us, and he says to his father, Please give me one bracha. All of a sudden, you go into the next pasuk, and this was the same Yitzchak. Two pesukim later, said, "There's nothing, nothing. I can't think of anything to give you." You go on two pesukim later, and suddenly his father gives him a beautiful bracha. Where did that bracha come from? The answer is, Esau threw himself into this cry. Ronnie Joseph somewhere in the back there for the, for the Bali Kriya. Under the word Esau. Under the word Esau. There's a little like crescent with a dot in it. It's called a Tavir. It goes Esau. That's the way it sounds. What does it mean? What's a Tavir? Tavir means Sheva. It means broken. Esau broke. This was a tough guy. Esau was a man of the fields. To see him cry. He broke. He changed. For the old Esau, there was no bracha. It simply didn't exist. But here he was. He cried. He changed. He broke. And what happened? All of a sudden, there was a bracha. Because this was a new Esau. When you transform yourself through tefillah, suddenly, yesh and things can come about which didn't exist before. <laughs> Let's go into Parashas Vayetzeh. Yaakov, he's now coming. He's reached Padan Aram. He comes to the Be'er. He comes to the, um, comes to the well. And he sees Rochel coming towards him. The Pesach says, Vayisah Kolei Vayit. Why did he start crying? Because he saw that Rochel wasn't going to be buried with him in Ma'ara Samach Why didn't that cry elicit some change? Why couldn't it change things that such that Rochel could be buried with him? The answer is, what's the answer? Because it doesn't say Vayisah Yaakov. It doesn't have a Tavir there. There was no break. It was a cry of pain, but Yaakov understood that this was ultimately for the best, that she should be buried by the, by the roadside, Rochel Mavakwa Albonel. It was for their best. It was a cry of pain, but he didn't want it to change. You go on and then he meets Leah. And what does he see with Leah? It says, Ve'ene Leah Rakos. Leah was predestined to marry Esau. So she cried, and she cried, and she davened, and she begged. And you could see the change. It wasn't just a physical change that her eyes had softened. There was a complete metamorphosis again within Leah. She changed as a being. The old Leah was destined for Esau. The Ene Leah this one, was destined for Yaakov. When a person cries, when a person changes through Tefillah, reality can change for the person as well. That's the second Chilak of Tefillah. And with that, let me just come to one last example. And this is the one which is Negea to us. In Parashas Vayero, under the instructions of Sarah Imenu. 
Avram Avinu casts, drives out Hagar, together with Yishmael. And there you have going. Yishmael wasn't well. He was ill. He was his throat was parched. He was drinking. They didn't have any water, and he was lying under the bush there, dying. Now let's just get a little bit of perspective. Who's Yishmael at this point? Well, all you have to do is go look at your local Arabs, or not so local, somewhere in the Middle East. That's Yishmael. He could have been even worse. He could have been these ISIS guys as well. He hadn't done Teshuvah at this point. Okay, that's who Yishmael was. Who was Hogar? Hogar was his mother. But she was a lady who was quite at ease speaking to Malachim, one after the other. She was the lady who, okay, there's different versions. She did go back to serve Abedazara, but she was ultimately going to become Avram's wife. Yitzchak went after Sorimenu was, was Nifta. Yitzchak went and brought Keturah, that's Hogar, says Rashi, back to marry Avram Avinu. Hogar wasn't any simple lady. And here you have Hogar davening for Yishmael, and you have Yishmael davening for himself. What does the Possek say? And HaKadosh Baruch Hu listened to the voice of the lad, Yishmael. Says Rashi, why? The answer is, Mikan says Rashi, from here we learn, that the tefillah of the chayla himself is far more potent than all the tefillahs everyone else davens for him. You can be a Yishmaelite. It doesn't make the slightest bit of difference. HaKadosh Baruch Hu values that more. Why? Now we've got the answer. Because HaKadosh Baruch Hu says, Yishmael was supposed to die. This is not a matter of just making contact. Yishmael has to change. Well, even if it is a matter of making, making contact, it's irrelevant. HaKadosh Baruch Hu says, I'm not, I haven't put Yishmael in, into this predicament for Hogal to undergo a change. I haven't put Yishmael into this predicament so that Hogal should touch base. I want Yishmael to change. I want the Chayla, the person himself, to change to make a connection with me. Of course it helps for other people to daven. All the zechusim adds. Perhaps that's what's needed in order to open the to open the gates. That's often is the case. The chayre can daven, but the, the tefillah can't get through. So he davens together with the tzibur. He gets a tzaddik to daven for him. We'll come to that Bezat Hashem in a second. And that opens the gates and then his tefillah can go through. I'll explain that a little bit more in a second. The HaKadosh Baruch says, that's what I want. The point of the tzara, the point of the trouble is to get the person to touch base and to change. Therefore it's the chayla, his tefillah, her tefillah is more important than anything else. That being the case, let's come back now to Klal Yisrael who are standing at the Yamsuf and everything now should become clear. Klal Yisrael are standing at the Yamsuf and you've got the accusing angels turned to Hashem and they said, why should the Jews be saved? Why are they any better off than these, than these Egyptians? They're all So why should the Egyptians be drowned and not the Jews? It's a good question. HaKadosh Baruch Hu Kibiyochel doesn't have an answer to that. All of a sudden, Vayitzaku Bnei Yisrael and Hashem. Bnei Yisrael cry out to Hashem. And there's your answer. HaKadosh Baruch Hu says, Sorry? Halolu Who's the Halolu? These are different people. These are people who have, who have become broken. They've cried from the depths of their heart. They do not just touch base. These are people who have transformed people who have come from being to people who are ready to stand at Har Sinai now. People who are ready to be to behold the glory of HaKadosh Baruch at Kriyas Yamsa. These are not the Halolu it's like Esau. It's not the same Esau. This is not the same Yishmael as before. This is a different person. 
But there was a little bit of a problem, and that is, as we said, not always does the tefillah go directly through. Perhaps most, you'll be most familiar with this idea, at a bris. People know at a bris, when the baby starts crying, we say that the cry of that baby, the, who's going to be a rachanimal, it goes directly straight up to Shomayim. So anyone who wants to dump for anything, it's an especially auspicious time. Why? Because when he opens the gates, anyone who stops in that tefillah with him, gets straight in. This is the idea of going to a tzaddik to ask a tzaddik to dominate. I don't have the time to explain it in full detail. It's based on something I saw from the Benish Chai once. The idea is that a tzaddik, sometimes I can dominate something, but my tefillah doesn't get through because the gates are closed to me. Hashem hears it, but the gates are closed. So what do I need? I need the gatekeeper. Somebody who's got access. Somebody who's got the keys. Who's that? A Moshe Rabbeinu. So Moshe Rabbeinu davens as well. Says the Torah. Let me ask you a question. So who's tefillah? brought about the Kriyas Yamsa. Who's Tefillah? Was it the Bnei Yisrael or was it Moshe Rabbeinu? It was obviously the Bnei Yisrael. Moshe wasn't the one who was the Ovid Avid The accusation wasn't against, Mos- against Moshe Rabbeinu. He wasn't at threat from the Mitzrayim. It was the Bnei Yisrael. Halalu Ovid Avid So therefore the Torah does not write that Moshe was, was davening because you may have made the mistake of thinking that it was our righteous leader who got us out of there. Says the Torah, no it's not. It's your every Tom, Dick, and I, I mean, the truth is, there, were, there wasn't such thing as a Tom, Dick, and Harry in the third day. But the equivalent of your Tom, Dick, and Harry, anyone, by Yitzhak, you cry out to Hashem, that's the tefillah which just changes them. That's what brought about the Yamsa, the Kriyas Yamsa. We needed Moshe. Yeah, we needed him just to open the gates for us. But our Kodesh Prophet said to him, what are you doing now, davening long Shemar Esres? Long tefillahs. You've opened the gates for them. They've cried out. They've touched base. They've transformed themselves. Everything's set. Moshe, stop davening, do something. So what's Moshe got to do now? He's told, Lift your arm up with a stick. Why? What's this? Should ring a bell. He had in his hand a shavat, a shavat. Ah. So what's going on over here? It's like this. You see, water, water is something that the maral calls, you may have heard of the terms, it's called chaymer belotzurah. It's substance without any form. Water, if you put it into, if you leave it, it just spreads. If you put it into a rectangular container, it becomes rectangle. You put it into a triangular container, it becomes triangle. You put it into a circular container, it takes on the form of whatever it's put into. Kladisol are like mine. In fact, Teshuvah is referred to as mine. Because Teshuvah means transforming yourself. As we said, we are the Odom. We have the ability... Today we don't want an orange tree, so we'll plant an apple tree. No problem. We can change. We like that water. The month of Shabbat belongs to us. But more specifically, to our leader, to Moshe Rabbeinu. Reb Shlomo Alkabitz, famed for Lachadodi, he writes, V'gam dolo dolo lonu. Moshe Rabbeinu came to Midian and Parashat Shemot. He comes once again, he comes to the Be'er, he comes to the well. And who does he meet there? He meets the daughters of, of uh, Yisrael. And he draws up the water for them. They come home. Yisra said, why so quick? So they said, well, there was, they thought of it, as a, it was an Egyptian man, saved us from the hands of the, of the other shepherds there. And then they said, that's the Dili. But two Dili's. Says the Rav Shlomo Alkabetz, that's Moshe Rabbeinu. He transformed the lives of two people forever. You know who those two people, people, people were? Yisra and Sipira, his wife-to-be. The Gam Doloi, 
He took the water, he took that potential and he put it into a bucket. He gave it a form, a new form. Beforehand, Yisro was going from one religion to another. There was no form. He hadn't decided where he wanted to be. Moshe comes along and introduces him to the religion of what's going to become Yiddishkeit Judaism. And that's the Dali. That's the form he gave him. And that was the life that Yitzhak was going to embrace. Tzipora likewise. He gave her a tzura, gave her a way of life. That's begam dolo dolo lon. Kalal Yisrael are standing at the Yamsuf. And the Yamsuf says, the says Hashem, why should we split? What's the answer? The answer is because Kalal Yisrael have cried out to HaKadosh Baruch Hu. They've transformed themselves. They are like the water. A mazal Yisrael. Why do we have not have any mazal? Do you want to know what the answer is? But we said, what about Shabbat? The answer is Shabbat is the month which represents somebody who has no mazal. Because it's like this. The mazal's not good today. Who am I today? Ruben? No, I'm not. I'm Shimon. Tomorrow the mazal's not good for Shimon. Okay, I'm back to Ruben. Third day, it's not good for either of them. I'll be lady. I'm a man of many identities. I can change. I can slip in from one to the next. No problem. We're not subject to muzzle because we can constantly change. Muzzle is not bad for everyone in one go. One day is muzzle's good for one person, it's bad for another. So no problem, we'll change for that day. That's why in muzzle is soil. That's the power of Shabbat. The power of Shabbat is to grow whatever tree you want. You can change. It's the water. Yeah, that's right. So um, the, the, the idea is that you can change. And that's the Dali, that's the bucket. Take the water, give it a surah, give it a different surah to last year, give it a different surah to the past. That's the gum dalu dalalanu. That's the that's the idea of the of the Dali. That's the idea of the bucket. And that's why when the sea said, Why should we split? The answer is Moshe Rabinu lifted up his arm with the Shabbat, with the Shavat, with that star. And he said, Kladi Israel, they've changed the shape of their water, they've given their life a different shape. So now you have to do the same. And that's exactly what the, daughter, the water did. It split, it changed its form. When the Mitzrayim came in, not for the Mitzrayim, they're Dom. They're Dom, by Yidom, they don't have the ability to change. And therefore the water went back, reverted to its normal, to its normal form. Let me just conclude, just by ra- just summarizing what we've said, and then I'll just end with one final thought, one final anecdote. And that is as follows. We've said tonight that there are two parts to Tefillah. The first is simply to touch base, that means to just maintain a connection with Hashem. That can be any time, any place, no matter what you're, what you're doing. The more the better. But it doesn't have to have any length. No grace kavonis. The second is, second chedekotzpilah is all about emotion. And that is, depends on the time. When a person feels it, that's hachidosh hazelochem. The Gemara in fact says, something called Rabbi Nehoi He has different names there. One time he was particularly indulgent in a, in a, in a, in a gashmias. And when he came to that pasuk, he read it as Hachirish Hoya Libom. Instead of Hachirish Hazelochem, that power of his conscience became Hachirish Hoya Libom. His heart became encrusted. He lost that emotional drive. That's Hachirish Hazelochem. That's our power of his conscience. When a person has the emotions, make the most of it, spend whatever length of time in Tfilo to transform oneself and their connection with Hashem. Let me just end with one particularly heartwarming story. And I'll, as I said, I'll end with this. Again, this comes from, from Rabbi Chiel Shpira's very, very talented pen. There was a, a special child, I believe, I'm assuming, autistic. His name was Sholly. And he, um, for the first six years of his life, he was really in a world of his own, as you know, with these, these children. One, one morning, his father went to work. He saw he was sitting there. This, this child was sitting there staring at the wall. He came back 11 hours later. He was still staring at the wall. He was in a world of his own. 
But eventually he had a breakthrough at the age of six, he started talking. This was an absolute milestone. Once he started, he never stopped. And he became, he just wanted to know the world, an incredibly uh, active child. And he got to the age 13, and he leaned. This was obviously a very, very emotional occasion, there wasn't a dry eye there. And at that point his parents felt maybe he was ready for the next stage. Maybe they could ask whether he could go to camp. So they phoned up, they selected a camp called Yedidim. This was a camp for normal children, they wanted him to, to merge with and try and become part of, so to speak, normal society. And they asked the director would he consider it. And he seemed a little hesitant, but he said, look, we'll give it a go. We'll give it on a trial period. The kids, uh, he comes along. He was all excited that first day. And that first night, he comes along, big grin on his face. He comes into his bunk, he meets his bunk mates. The next morning, the director of the camp, he wakes up, opens his door, and he gets the shock of his life. Sholly standing there, ready dressed, at ready, you know, ready. So he says to him, Sholly, is everything all right? You know, it's only been one night. He says, yeah. He says to the camp director, I think his name was Moshe, he says, Ramosha, I've come to accompany you to wake up all the, you know, the wake up call. I'm going to be your bodyguard for the rest of camp. That was the, uh, the big grin on his face. There he was, the first child, first camper there for Davening. Anyway, during Davening, I'll just get to the point, which is Negeatas. It's a beautiful story there, but he says like this. It came Davening, comes to Shema, and they're edging closer towards Shema Nesri. And as they get to Shema Nesri, everyone stands up. And Shadi turns to Yadaviyovo. And he points to him, and he looks at his shadow counselor and the junior counselors around, and he sort of motions them, is it Yalav Yobba today? So they said no. Day two, the same thing happens. It comes to Yalav it comes Shemel Esri, he points at it, they said no. And this goes on day in, and they, they, they learn to expect it, and eventually it came Rosh Chodesh, the day everyone had been waiting for. And they're all waiting, waiting in anticipation. He comes closer and closer, and it comes to Shemel Esri, and he points, he doesn't disappoint, he points. And they all nod with a big grin on their face. And you should have seen this boy. This boy, he says, he raised his arms as if he just won the lifting the World Cup. To him, this was the greatest moment of the camp. He's had the chance finally to say Yadaviyavu. When reading that story, I don't know again if women will fully appreciate this. You've got to appreciate, in short each morning, if there's a bris or a chosen there, I tell you, it makes people's day. The opportunity not to have to say tachanam. You know, there's the shuls where people will actually, they'll, uh, you know, bid to have the chosen come to their shul so they can get out of the, save a few few minutes for, for Tachanam. This child teaches us the purity to appreciate every single opportunity to daven Ta'akorosh Baruch Hu is a gift from above. It's an opportunity to, to maintain contact and to transform ourselves, transform the world around us and Be'ezat Hashem make it into a better place, a world which is roy to receive Be'ashurah Sashchino and Be'ezat Hashem get rid of all the evil from the world he saw them and shared us all them in our orets, the similar Khatwa Shemir of Adecha, Al Koma Sefer.